This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. So this is our next in the installment of uh, our Economic Development is More Important Than Ever podcast. And today I'm talking with Matt Hall, the Executive Vice President of One Southern Indiana, the combined economic development organization and chamber of commerce that serves Clark and Floyd counties. So earlier this year, uh, Matt was named to the 2020 list of North America's top 50 economic developers by Consultant Connect. So first, Matt, I just want to say congratulations for being named to one of America's top 50. I mean, what a great honor. Uh, Thank you. It was very um, humbling. I appreciate that. Well, and you know, uh, I think uh, it's important to recognize that you were nominated both by your peers and also by uh, site selectors. Uh, And so they did that as a recognition of, of your service, but also uh, the innovation and and just professionalism that you've exhibited over the years. So again, uh, congratulations to you and and congratulations for the service that you've given to your community. Thank you, big honor. Well, so uh, so part of that noted your efforts at innovation in in the field of economic development, and so let's start there. Um, you know, so you, that, the press release anyway that I read was uh, published on March the 12th, which was kind of the day before everything started closing down. So in, there's no connection there other than um, as we all started trying to find our way through uh, COVID-19, um, there was some particular, I think, innovation that came out of one Southern Indiana that you were involved in. And uh, you and your colleagues down there launched something that you called One SI Cares. And I think everybody knows that One SI is sort of the abbreviation for One Southern Indiana. But One SI Cares uh, was your response to sort of the, the pandemic. So, Talk to me about what that was about, how you came up with that, and then let's talk about some of the components of One SI Cares. Sure. So our initial response um, to the pandemic was, I almost refer to it as as the triage response. Uh, We wanted to um, react immediately, of course, to the needs of our businesses. And so we actually took a three-pronged approach to that. The first one was called um, One SI Connects. And we used it to support member engagement. We revised our website format. We assembled, um, of course, COVID-19 resources, conducted member surveys to see what their pain points were. We promoted our member products and services through our Buy One SI um, program and also matched um, our members together in a B2B proactive way. And we made a lot of individual phone calls to our members and of course, we sent out um, email blasts with uh, the latest news and information that we had available. The second approach to that, or prong to that, was the 1SI calls, where we conducted Facebook Live events on a number of topics. We launched our Ask the Expert series, determined by our uh, member surveys, and they, we covered topics that, or, or experts covered topics such as HR legal issues, um, marketing during a crisis insurance concerns, security and sanitation, um, and other small business issues, just to name a few. And then our third prong to this was 1SI Collaborates. 
And we launched that to collaborate with various community partners and leaders to directly support our businesses. Um, ultimately, what ended, being, ended up being three different loan products, and we were able to raise nearly $1.3 million to support these loan programs, which was pretty incredible. The first product um, on that was a small business emergency forgivable loan program, and it was created, frankly, to stop the bleeding by providing emergency monies to those businesses that were in critical danger of closing. Um, then the other two products we were, were launched were targeting, both of those were targeting and supporting those businesses that make up our cultural identity of our area, those storefront downtown businesses like dining and drinking establishments, boutiques, and uh, small retail locations. We ultimately, like I said, raised $1.3 million that was uh, provided through 123 forgivable or 0% loans to those businesses that spanned over just a few weeks. So it was a very rapid um, process. Um, again, it's sort of, if you think of it as a, as a triage approach, that's what we were trying to do was first um, stop the bleeding and then second, keep those businesses going as, as, they, um, dealt, as we all dealt with the um, pandemic. And then now we're actually into what we call 1SI Reset, um, which is focusing more on helping our businesses to reopen and recover as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So how different as you've talked to, I mean, as you went through the, the, the calls and you've been interacting with companies, how different have been the challenges that they're experiencing now as opposed to when you would be doing some of your typical business retention expansion calls? And how have you, I mean, how have you responded to, to some of those different kinds of questions? I mean, obviously you had the loan program, but, but there are, I think, probably a broader range of challenges that people are experiencing and how different has that been? Well, as we know, or can imagine initially there were a lot of concerns, um, unknowns and uncertainties. So our task initially was finding what I'll call accurate information and reliable resources and getting that to our businesses as quickly as possible. And part of that process was cutting through a lot of the noise because there was so much information, just an avalanche of information, not all of it good. So a lot of our task was um, sort of vetting through that information and, and making sure that we were providing our members with um, efficient and accurate pertinent information. This included concerns with safety and operations and um, on a level that no one has seen before. And this continues, frankly, as we begin the process of reopening. I mentioned one SI resets and, you know, how do we bring those employees back in a safe environment? How do we um, engage into, you know, what is our new normal? Helping businesses determine what is our, our um, everybody's new normal. We're all going through this, but we're trying to um, share best practices with from businesses who actually have, are, are doing this quite well. How do we share that and, and put those uh, good examples out there for other members to mimic? And we've also, we've kept the dialogue going. That was, you know, that was critical. It's, it's kind of um, silly to say, well, our, you know, if we listen, well, people wanted to, um, they wanted to exchange those ideas. And we, you know, we've worked to create forums um, and, and avenues for them to um, share those ideas and also ask questions. Well, I think that's important. And I think, you know, I, we've heard, I think, from a number of your peers, I mean, just uh, being able to share questions, being able to, to uh, trade best practices, because, again, there are so many unknowns and this is so new to everybody. 
uh, as you've gone through all this, because you are a combined uh, economic development and, and chamber, you know, how has that synergy between those two entities that typically may be complementary, how has that helped your response? Well, one of the advantages of having an organization that does both chamber work and economic development work is there's a natural flow between those two scopes of work. For example, um, many of our business retention and expansion clients are also chamber members, and we often get leads on expanding companies or through the work that we're doing um, under the chamber umbrella. So having that, you know, sort of having your customers in-house, if you will, is very um, helpful in um, identifying challenges that they may have they may be having or um, you know uh, expansion uh, potential that they may have or which is exciting for us um, providing them or introducing them to resources that they may not have been aware of that would help them um, in some cases not just um, remain open but actually um, grow their business in any environment not just the pandemic environment um, but we have a um, uh, Metro Manufacturing Alliance membership level. It's a chamber membership level, but we have a team member who is dedicated specifically to that group of chamber members, and this allows her to be on the front end of that expansion work, or um, as I mentioned, retention work. If we, um, you know, we have plenty of examples of where we uncovered uh, the potential of losing a company to another area or through um, an acquisition, or maybe they have a challenge with. Uh, that, that has an easy fix uh, that we just step in and say, you know, have you discussed this with so-and-so or such this agency or that agency? So we wouldn't ordinarily have uh, necessarily have those um, connections if we weren't doing the quote unquote chamber work. And, and I think probably a, an additional challenge that's unique for, for your circumstance is that you, you straddle a bi-state uh, major metro region uh, so, so you've had to calibrate really probably between Kentucky and Indiana sort of requirements and, and looking at that. So how, how has that been trying to, to straddle sort of two different sets of, of expectations and information and just being part of that bigger metro area? Well, the challenges are... I think of them as twofold. One, we have a marketing challenge in that we are known by a city we're not in a state we're not a part of. We say that all the time. I happen to believe that that also is an opportunity because we are able to offer the advantages of, an, of easy access to a downtown core while still enjoying the benefits of a more rural location. We have both of those, um, the best of both worlds, if you will. We also have the four R's here, what we call the four door. The four R's are the rail, runways, rivers, and roads, um, while still maintaining our small town charm. That's a unique advantage that we have, um, and especially for businesses that are looking for both of those things. Having two different state structures can be challenging, as you can imagine. Both Indianapolis and Frankfurt don't always see us as a true region. The rules are, aren't always the same, um, and the way we approach projects can vary. We are making progress there. Um, I'm encouraged by some of the steps that, that both sides of the river have taken to ensure that we remain competitive. Not always easy to um, not take ownership of a project and say, my, we're going to compete against you. 
Um, but if we look at ourselves as a region, if we're competing against the Nashvilles of the world or the Austins of the world, most companies don't care um, which side of the state line they land on. They just want the best, um, uh, the least risk and the best opportunity for them to be successful. And I think that's where Indianapolis and Frankfurt are starting to understand that um, co together, if we're competing in these other areas, it makes much more sense for us to work together and cooperative in a cooperative way so that our region is more uh, competitive. Locally, we have an agreement with our colleagues um, on the south side of the river in Louisville um, that is really relative to the business retention and expansion work that we do. We want to make sure that if we are talking to a company on the Kentucky side of the river that is looking to um, move possibly to the Indiana side, that we are incentivizing existing jobs or existing capital just to move them around the Louisville Metro and, and they, they do the same to businesses on the, on the north side that are looking uh, to move to Louisville. This ensures that we are putting all of our resources and efforts toward that net gain in terms of new jobs and new capital investment um, as opposed to playing both sides against the river. We, we call these projects river hoppers and you know, we, we don't want to be played against each other in order to, you know, who's going to give me the bigger incentive package, especially if there's no net new gain. So you referenced uh, business retention and expansion, and I've heard you talk about that in the past. And certainly you've, when you talked about one SI connects and one SI calls, I mean, that's a big part of business retention expansion. How has that whole process though of, of making those business calls you know, how has that, you, you've always done that, but, but now I think it probably has a slightly different focus uh, as we're trying to emerge from this. So how has that evolved uh, during this process? What's the importance of that? And then I shouldn't ask three questions at once, but, but the last question would be then, how do you see all of that evolving sort of on the backside of this? Uh, so just talk about the general importance of business retention expansion and how, how has that emerged during all of this as, as an important aspect of what you're doing? Sure. So um, we have seen the majority of our project announcements fall in that business retention and expansion piece. And I would be remiss if I didn't say every time you have a business that expands in your community, that's also a victory in retention because we have seen, I'm sure there are many, many communities who have seen the impact, the negative impact when a, a big employer moves out of your, your area. So we try not to take that for granted. That's just why our business retention and expansion work is so important. It's going um, and having those meetings pre-pandemic, they were all face-to-face, -face, but now post-pandemic, um, meeting with our companies and asking three questions. How's business? Are there any impediments to you doing business? And do you have any plans to expand or grow? And honestly, those three basic questions have led us to a lot of uh, announcements of growing businesses right here in our own community. The majority of our announcements, as I said, have been from those businesses. Now, that being said, what's interesting about um, what, what's happened during the pandemic is we haven't been able to do those face-to-face -face meetings. However, um, our engagement with our existing businesses has increased dramatically. Um, because of those things I mentioned before, you know, they need to know where can they get critical PPE resources? Where uh, can they find the latest pertinent HR information? 
How can they get access to financial support? Those types of things that has increased that engagement. Also, I mentioned our MMA group before, our Metro Manufacturing Alliance. We have, um, as part of that group, we have roundtables that are for, that were formed to, for um, example, we have an HR roundtable just for those um, members in um, HR and manufacturing. We have a plant managers roundtable. We have um, a sales group uh, roundtable, all geared uh, toward manufacturing. The engagement and participation since the pandemic has increased dramatically um, because um, before businesses were too busy making widgets. You know, it's hard to get away for a meeting um, if, you, if you've got a lot of fires to put out on the production floor. So since a lot of that has, has um, slowed down or ceased, there, uh, the, the work from home, the lockdown has actually um, really bumped our engagement with members who frankly didn't have the time to or as much time to participate before. So it's making us um, think of, you know, going forward and as businesses start to reopen, you know, does it make sense for us to have more um, virtual meetings? Are they more convenient for people? Can we get more accomplished during those? Or do we need to return to face-to-face -face meetings? Or do we need to have some sort of hybrid of the two? Um, and we are discussing that with the advisory council for that group because we don't want to miss an opportunity with the, I'll say momentum, that it was momentum, you know, born out of, out of uh, a pandemic, but uh, the momentum that has, you know, occurred with our roundtables. So whether we end up doing this virtually or more face-to-face, -face, um, what I call business therapy with our, uh, our manufacturers and our other um, uh, chamber members and other businesses uh, remains to be seen, but it will most certainly change. And um, I think the, you know, What's interesting about this pandemic is it sort of forced us all to be a little more uh, tech savvy, although I confess I'm not great at it, but I have done more Zoom meetings and go-to meetings and learned how to share screens and all of that, as I'm sure everyone has as a result of this pandemic. So, you know, maybe the, the silver lining to this cloud is we can find ways to be more effective and more efficient, either going completely virtual or some, as I mentioned, some hybrid, hybrid of those uh, two things. So you mentioned in your your uh, the, in your business retention expansion that you have three basic questions you ask, and I think the middle one uh, caught my interest because I I'm not sure I'm I, I guess probably others ask this but they've never really identified uh, of asking about impediments uh, that may take a lot of a lot of courage to find out you know what is it that that the companies don't like or what is it that is slowing them down. But I'm guessing that that's probably a really critical question that you're asking them that that helps you discover uh, problems before they become insurmountable. Absolutely, there. Um, I can give you lots of examples of where um, their answers to that question were, in some cases, I won't say easy fixes, but they were certain certainly repairable, and businesses weren't aware. But they were so frustrated. For example, um, we had uh, we, in one of our business parks here, the businesses that we visited with within that business park were all very, very frustrated because they did not have a stoplight. There was one entrance into that park and they didn't have a stoplight to um, control the traffic going back and forth. So their employees, you know, every day at four o'clock, there was, it was a terrible situation and a dangerous situation for their employees to get out of that business park. So we said, you know what? 
we will start working on getting you a stoplight. Now that's not the easiest process to get done if you've ever uh, been through it, but it is doable. And what we managed to do was create a safer um, environment for the employees and also less frustration by the employer um, because you know they um, were able to, uh, they didn't have to restructure their, their shifts, which what they were doing uh, in order to control the, the, the flow of, of people. Uh, and products in and out. So that's just one example of where sometimes there is um, a situation, most times there are um, answers to their challenges. We just have to uncover them. There are times when we discover businesses are so frustrated, they're ready to move, to pick up and move. And had we not asked that question or asked some probing questions, we would have unintentionally ignored a problem um, that could have been solved. And we've, we've uncovered that quite a bit as well. Where, um, and sometimes it's just a matter of um, a lack of communication between them and a municipality or them and a certain um, business or a certain um, agency, and we're able to go in and, and resolve those for those companies. Well, and I think it accrues value to you, and I think it accrues value to, to the area that, A, um, they know that someone's listening and B that there is at least, at least an attempt at a response. And in the, the circumstance with the, the traffic light, you know, there was a response. And I think that accrues value to, to those companies and to, to your region and to you as, you know, this is a region that's responsive to our needs as business. Uh, and, and they've taken the effort to come out and ask that question, which again, uh, can be uh, an effort in uh, courage because you have to go out and hear things, you know, uh, where people, your customers may be telling you that your baby is ugly and nobody likes to hear that, but it gives you an opportunity to try to fix a problem. And so I think that's, that is a key part of a business retention expansion model. Absolutely. Um, you know, not to oversimplify it, but it's customer service 101. You know, making sure that you listen to the needs of the, of the customer and, you know, there's lots of transparency and trust and that's how you are able to build um, these relationships. So, so let's think about going forward because so much has changed in such a short period of time. Uh, if we look back at February, you know, we started with a, an unemployment rate of 2% and I don't know exactly what it is today, but it's certainly in the double digits. Uh, which is a, a tremendous change in 90 days in terms of just sort of our, our workforce and our employment. Uh, we have companies that are wrestling with questions. Uh, two things. One is how do you think your practice of economic development, how you do your job is going to be different uh, post-COVID-19? And as a codicil to that, uh, it seems to me that, that the Louisville region always sort of promotes itself as sort of a healthcare, health-centric place. And we started hearing from site selectors that health and health capacity is going to be something that's making its way up the list of things that we look at. So how do you think your practice of economic development is going to be different uh, going forward than what it was just three months ago? That's a great question. Well, for starters, I think let's take a look at the basics, the, you know, the site visits. How are site visits going to be different? Um, I just had my first what I call touchless tour um, a couple of weeks ago where I had a developer that wanted to do a tour of our community and see what opportunities are here 
um, they've heard a lot about Southern Indiana and they wanted to come see it, um, it for themselves. And but we were faced with okay, how do we do this? How do we do a tour? Do you know, we certainly don't want to be in each other's cars. This was somebody traveling, you know, through airports. And so what we did was um, we just connected our cars via Bluetooth and went on a path. We had a, a, a small meeting in our parking lot with lots of distance between us. And then we stopped along the way and it actually turned out uh, really, um, it was a great way uh, to see the community. Uh, probably not as great as if we, you know, were able to, you know, pre-pandemic um, approach, but certainly doable. So how does this, um, how do we do this going forward? How do we show buildings? How do we, um, how many of us are utilizing drones? How many of us are able to give tours, you know, virtual tours? We've got to figure out how we set that up so that we can do that. And you're right. Uh, the the um, types of businesses that are going to, we're going to start seeing different types of projects, uh, especially in the healthcare field. So how do we show um, how do we bump up those assets that we have in our community that would um, would be sought after for those healthcare related projects? Um, I think we need to take a look at you mentioned unemployment and you know our our complaint pre pandemic was you know the unemployment rate's too low we can't you know nobody can get workers nobody can keep workers everybody you know passing workers back and forth and now that we're we've creeped back up into the double digits that seems to theoretically solve one problem, but we are challenged now with how do we bring those employees back to work? How do um, we do that in a, in a safe environment? How do we um, make the case, if you will, for them to come back to work? The problem isn't completely solved. It's just a different angle on, on the, the workforce challenge that we have. Uh, the same is true, as I mentioned, with our, with our assets. You know, how do we showcase those assets and show our communities and um, tailor our message post-pandemic. It's going to be interesting. I'm looking to others for best practices. How are they doing it? I'm not above stealing a great idea or two. And so I would, um, I would, I'll certainly be looking to do that, to look at what uh, my peers are doing. So part of my point about uh, Louisville as a healthcare-centric region was not just about attracting more healthcare, but it was... Uh, that that companies are starting to ask about, well, how many beds are there in the hospitals? What kind of critical care? What is the capacity that if we are expanding into your region and we go through this again, do we have the capacity to, to treat uh, our employees? Uh, if we have a problem, do we have the capacity to make sure that we're managing that? And that seems to be an entirely different set of questions than maybe what companies were asking before. That's, that's a great point and a great question. And you're absolutely right, Lee. We, we, how, how does our infrastructure, and, and at this point that becomes part of our infrastructure, how does our infra infrastructure support not just the needs today, but you're, you know, what if we have a wave two? What if we have you know, the next pandemic that comes through? How are we equipped as a community to support those businesses. And there are lots of conversations happening on both sides of the river um, w addressing that very question. You know, how do we, what do you do in a panic? What do you do, you know, how do, you, how do we as a community address this going forward? How do we um, support the people who um, are sick? And how do we, how do we um, try to contain any type of, um, of virus spread that we've seen um, here you know, in the last few months. 
and that and and absolutely we have to have our um our cheat sheet if you will prepared to answer those questions so matt i appreciate your time you've been very generous um and and i appreciate your thoughts uh, is there anything that uh, you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about today that you think is particularly relevant? Well, I, again, I, I, you know, my intention is to keep in contact with my colleagues and see, you know, what they're doing, what they're experiencing. Um, certainly with our site selectors, making sure that we, um, we, we understand what it is that companies are looking for. You mentioned healthcare, absolutely that, uh, but also, you know, what's important to them as, as we move forward, because we don't know what the new normal is going to be. And um, I think the way that we conduct business is going to change dramatically, even post-pandemic. So how, you know, what are other folks doing that is really effective um, toward not just in the economic development arena, arena but certainly with, um, with chambers. We're doing virtual events now. We're doing virtual networking now. And um, I know the you know IEDA is doing that. So what works best? How can we improve upon it? And will we ever go back to uh, the face-to-face -face networking? I hope so. I hope so. And I think we will eventually. But you know, how do we do that in a responsible way? I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, this has been you know been very helpful, very informative, and it helps me understand why you were named uh, you know one of the uh, America's top 50 economic developers. Uh, so thanks. Uh, I've been talking with Matt Hall, Executive Vice President of One Southern Indiana. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lee. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content in this podcast is copyright 2020 by the Indiana Economic Development Association and all rights are reserved. Mm -hmm.